Hello and welcome to the Alien Gazing Podcast. My name is Nick and I am the chief host of the podcast and actually what you're listening to right now is a little pre-recorded message for this episode because if you've been following the podcast this year, you know that this episode is, well, considering it was recorded back in July, it's more than a long time coming. Uh, this is the episode that where we finally bring you the conclusion of our disclosure special on the UFO report to Congress. Uh, but before we go ahead and dive into all that stuff, I just wanted to apologize first for how long this episode took to upload. Long story short, there were just two big factors that led up to the delay. The biggest one was getting notification from my landlord back in August of this year that he would be raising our rent by 50%, prompting my fiance and I to try and figure out what exactly we were going to do. All is okay now, and we found a new place, but the process of making that happen has been both taxing and extremely time-consuming, to say the least. And beyond that, the other reason for the delay was the creation of the theme song for the podcast, which you'll be hearing for the very first time on this episode. I was really adamant about including it on this episode, and it just ended up taking a little bit longer than I anticipated, but be sure to let us know what you think. Anyways, with all that said, I want to go ahead and just let you get into the episode. So I'd like to thank you for listening. And without further ado, I present to you the Alien Gazing Podcast. to the Alien Gazing Podcast, where we cover a wealth of UFO, alien, paranormal topics while featuring music from a variety of shoegaze, grunge gaze, new gaze, and dream pop artists. My name is Nick, I play in the band Saucers Over Washington, and I am joined by my good friend, skate buddy, and co-host of the podcast, Tom Mack. How's it hanging today for you, Tom? It's hanging just swell, Nick. Thanks for having me again. Always. You are part of this podcast at this point. So <laughs> if you're not here, I will be very lonely. Still, still appreciative. I was going to say it's just peachy keen being here. <laughs> I'm trying to bring 20 slang back. You know, who, 
you know, people were like, oh, it's the 1920s again. We got to bring back all this style and culture. And that hasn't really seemed to happen. I think people like that idea. And then we're like, no, never mind. You know who never really uh, let go of his attachment to like old terms like that is David Lynch. Uh, in fact, Peachy Keen is one of the things that he frequently does say. Really? Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of great. I actually just finished reading his uh, his biography. And yeah, oftentimes that one of the phrases that people say he says a lot is Peachy Keen. That's funny. Yeah. You know, I was trying to look up 1920s slang and see which one would be good. And I found this website that lists 460 different terms. And there's a lot of different ways to say like girl and money back in the 20s, I guess. But one of my favorite terms is Harlem Sunset. And it says it's some sort of fatal injury caused by a knife. (laughs) (laughs) We're going to give them the old Harlem sunset. You see (laughs) Harlem sunset. (laughs) That's incredible. I I would pay $9.99 a month for that. For for a plate for uh, something that would give me just like 20s expired phrases. Yeah. Right. On the daily. Like instead of like we're the day toilet paper. I would go with that. Right. (laughs) That might be our million dollar idea. You know what? Forget the podcast. We're going to start doing it. Let's get out of here. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all joking aside, for tonight's episode of the podcast, we will bring you part two of our disclosure special, where we will go through and provide our thoughts, theories, and analysis on the unclassified UFO report to Congress that was released on June 25th of this year. Now, we wanted to try and keep this episode a little shorter than part one, so our segment of UFOs in the news for this episode will be decidedly short, sweet, and to the point, which will give us more time to dedicate to our main segment covering the UFO report to Congress. But before we get into any of that, we gotta hear our first song for tonight's episode. And our first song for tonight's episode is called Coin Heaven by the band Gloom Church.
All right. That song again was called Coin Heaven by the band Gloom Church. And they are based out of Portland, Oregon. And that song was off of their four song EP that they released this year. And that EP is called Matching Luck. Uh, you can find it on their Bandcamp page as well as a 7-inch record, which I'm going to be picking up because if you look at this thing, the artwork is just, it's so freaking cool, man. <laughs> and I'm a sucker for sci-fi stuff, and that's definitely the vibe uh, it gives off. But anyway, enough of my gushing. They're awesome. That song was really dope. The way they blend the acoustic guitars with the fuzz, just really, really nice sound. Makes for a really, really great atmosphere, and I love it super super cool so check them out gloom church and with that guys let's get back to the show all right welcome back alien gazers so as mentioned before our new segment on this episode will be decidedly brief and it's just as well because as i'm sure you all are aware the biggest news in the realm of ufos is still the unpacking of the recent ufo report to congress which we'll of course be covering in our main segment tonight now, with that all being said, let's go ahead and dive into UFOs in the News. So, our first topic for UFOs in the News tonight concerns two new interviews featured on the YouTube channel, Theories of Everything with Kurt Jaimungle, and that's Kurt, C-U-R-T, Jaimungle, J-A-I-M-U-N-G-A-L. Now, for those who are not aware, Kurt Jaimungle is the name of a Toronto-based actor and documentary filmmaker who somewhat recently created this YouTube channel as an extension of his documentary filmmaking process. In his descriptions, he explains that the purpose of the channel is to interview various intellectuals on the topics of, quote, theories of everything, consciousness, rationality, and God, end quote as part of research for documentary he is currently working on, which will be about the aforementioned topics. On our previous episode, we mentioned an earlier interview Jaimungle did with Jeremy Corbell, but the one we're referring to here is a new one specifically regarding the recent UFO report to Congress. He also did an interview with Luis Elizondo regarding the report as well. The interview with Jeremy Corbell is titled, quote, Jeremy Corbell on the June Report, Bob Lazar and the release of more footage. And the interview with Luis Elizondo is titled Luis Elizondo on UFOs, Skinwalker, Remote Viewing, and the Invisible College. So for the purpose of keeping things brief, we'll just say that if you felt a little underwhelmed, as many of us did, after reading the UFO report to Congress, you may hear a few things in these interviews that will reassure you that the truth is indeed still out there. It's honestly too much to get into for this short segment, so if you out there are listening would like us to cover this story in detail, just go ahead and send us an email over at saucersoverwashington at gmail.com and let us know, and maybe we'll make it the focus of another episode, if not the next one. So on that note, we also wanted to make mention of a TMZ special that's now available on Hulu titled TMZ Investigates UFOs, The Pentagon Proof. In this special, we have extended interviews and testimony with Luis Elizondo, among others, and much like our previous news report, though there's much that can be discussed here, we encourage the listener to watch the special for yourselves, especially if the UFO report to Congress was underwhelming for you. What we will say is that in regards to both the Kurt Jaimungle interviews and this TMZ special, what the keen observer will notice is how the information we are getting from a variety of figures on the UFO subject, be it Luis Elizondo, Christopher Mellon, Harry Reid, or others, 
What we are getting in any of their testimony depends greatly upon the format of the program they are featured on. In other words, if you are seeing any of these figures or others associated with the UFO phenomenon, if you see them on a mainstream outlet such as 60 Minutes, MSNBC, Fox, etc., know that whatever topic being discussed, they won't go too deep. It's only through more specialized channels, such as an interview with Kurt Jaimungle on YouTube, a TMZ special investigation, or even an independent documentary like The Phenomenon, where you can suss out more novel bits of information from these figures. Isn't it so annoying that they're like, okay, we have this really important information. Let's purposely go to, you know, well-known mainstream sources to make sure that we barely talk about it at all and no one pays attention to it. Right, right. Yeah, and it's it's the most obvious reason for this is that they're tailoring their information for the specific audience. But at the same time, that proves that they are tailoring the mm-hmm. information. Well, I shouldn't say that because the 60 minutes thing was actually pretty huge and it did introduce that topic to a lot of people. So So and yeah, and, that, and that's the thing though is that through these type of outlets, you only get kind of like surface level information. I mean, we can go into like the we don't necessarily need to talk about the news news cuz that's a whole another bag of worms. But at the very least on the UFO topic, these mainstream outlets are only ever really going to give you a scratching of the surface. You know, and I think what trips me out about this is that it just shows that there is a conscious tailoring of information and the fact that they'll go into much more detail in other formats. For example, Christopher Mellon in the documentary The Phenomenon, he heavily implies that the, what we're dealing with are E.T. civilizations. He implies it very heavily, but yet if he's on MSNBC or Fox, it's very, very, very conservative. It's much, He's much more tight-lipped. And that the same could be said of all the UFO figures. It's interesting, but it, I mean, it makes sense. It's like you're being strategic about how you divulge this information. So the fact that they're being strategic about it and they give a little bit more information in one outlet versus another, it just, for me, emphasizes how wide the, the breadth or the breadth <laughs> of this phenomenon is in regards to like what knowledge they have compared to what they'll talk about. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, um, you know, when I remember watching the phenomenon, it's kind of like, I think that was my first introduction to Christopher Mellon. And I was like, oh my God, this guy knows all this really important stuff. And, you know, when I listened to him uh, get interviewed on Rogan, you know, he was kind of alluding that he had a lot of reason to believe that, like you said, we're dealing with alien civilizations, but you don't get all that all the time. Every interview with him, like you said, depending on where, who he's doing the interview with. It's funny. Uh, I felt like in the, in the Joe Rogan one, he was a little bit more conservative than he was in even like the phenomenon comparatively. It's it's interesting to see. But the thing to take away from this is, is that if you felt like you weren't getting what you wanted out of the UFO report, or if you felt like it was just a reiteration of the same thing we've already heard, listen to some of these figures talking in some of these other outlets, and you'll get a better idea of like, at least from my point of view, um, you'll get a better idea of maybe what we're truly dealing with, because you'll get a little bit more of an unfiltered they're always going to be filtered, but a little bit less of that filter is present in some of these other outlets. Yeah, you know, um, another crazy thing about the TMZ reporting is um, it's another um, video taken off a, a Navy vessel and it's at night 
and you know you see these orbs of light um flying around the ship but uh, other than that you can't really see too much because it is very dark and it is basically just orbs of light you don't see any definition there and there's not really any sort of impressive maneuvering but it definitely looks to be like other ufo videos we've seen and uh that was really kind of the cool thing i think about the tmz report is uh we got a, a new a new video to all debate and talk over and um get annoyed at if you're some of those people who are like oh he hyped it up too much what is this <laughs> yeah it, actually that that reminds me that again like i said we're not gonna spend too much time talking about the interviews but in the kurt Mungle interview with jeremy corbell that's one of the things that he talks about is that he does have a lot of footage that he has not released and that he does plan on releasing in the next coming months so definitely something to look out for the next news story that we have concerns a jellyfish shaped ufo seen above a cruise ship uh, so Tom, would you like to fill us in on uh, what's going on with this story? Yeah, so this is something that popped up uh, a couple weeks ago. Actually, it was uh, July 9th that I think the video really started to uh, get popular. It might have been posted a day or so before that. But this came from a cruise ship. Um, this story is taken from cruiselawnews.com. You know, everyone subscribes to that. And of course, that, I'm sure. Cruise Law News. <laughs> they say, as celebrity cruises and other U.S.-based cruise lines begin to resume operations, the captain of the Celebrity Edge created a stir earlier this week when a cruise-related website posted a video on its Facebook page of what the captain described as a UFO cruising right above the ship. Uh, the captain's name is Kate McHugh, I think is how you say that, M little c, big C U E. Originally took short videos of the incident in which she posted in June of 2020. This was a year ago on her TikTok page. So it's actually on TikTok. Um, however, I think it was at a recent conference that she started to talk about this story, and I guess that's why it kind of started blowing up recently. At this conference talking about uh, the cruise industry getting back up and running, uh, Captain Kate McHugh decided to bring up this TikTok video of this black jellyfish-like UFO that was kind of hovering uh, over the ship and eventually, I guess, submerged into the ocean. So we have a clip of her describing that here. Uh, we'll go ahead and play that now. What's that? And we look up, and there was, it, I put it on TikTok, it looked like a black jellyfish, a gigantic black jellyfish, and it sailed right over the retreat, directly through the center line of the ship, right through our X and our stack, and just floated through. Thing was, we had no wind, maybe five knots at the time, but this thing was cruising along about 10, 15 miles per hour, just cruised right over, and as it passed the, the stern of the ship, it went a couple hundred meters, maybe three to four hundred meters, and then it started to descend into the water. But because it was sunset, we couldn't put a rescue boat down to go see what it was, but it disappeared into the water. And we have no idea. It wasn't a drone. There was no noise associated with it. So if you want to see our UFO, it's on TikTok. <laughs> so a lot of people were picking this apart, right? Saying like, oh, well, you know, it's it's a balloon, right? And it's a balloon floating, and, and then it just fell into the water like, you know, any other air piece of trash but what blew my mind about is as she says you know this is the captain of the ship someone's got a lot of experience you know piloting these giant ass cruise ships she said you know we had no wind so you would expect it to be blowing around all crazy but instead right. it just kind of keeps a steady speed and then descends and fully submerges into the water um so a jellyfish like ufo was also reported in march of this year in mexico uh this was also during the daytime or you know right before sunset 
And, you know, there's there is a phenomenon called space jellyfish. This normally happens after a rocket launch during, you know, dusk or dawn hours. In fact, I've seen a space jellyfish before since we live over here near the coast of Florida and totally blew my mind. I actually thought I was seeing a UFO and found out later. No, it's just some sort of light phenomenon. So wait, what is a space jellyfish? A space jellyfish is this uh, aerial phenomenon that happens during a rocket launch. And it happens specifically during dawn or dusk hours, because what happens is the rocket gets launched and to the surface observer, it's it's still dark out. The sun hasn't risen. But once the rocket gets to a certain point, it's now having its exhaust being reflected by the sun that is very close to rising or setting. And therefore, you have this illuminated trail. And so when these these thrusters get shoved off the rocket, right, they get released, you see these pulses that glow in the night sky. And it looks super trippy and psychedelic. Um, I actually have a very embarrassing memory of walking into school uh, one day and early morning and seeing this and, you know, some other people around me being like, whoa, what is it? I'm like, isn't it obvious? It's a UFO. (laughs) And then later seeing on the news uh, them explain it as the space jellyfish. I'm like, oh, well, (laughs) I don't think I was the only person who thought that. So at least I'm sharing the embarrassment. But no, this is not a space jellyfish, uh, at least not in that sense of the word. This was actually something that appeared to be a physical object uh, reported and seen by uh, many. And uh, as Captain McHugh pointed out, if you want to check it out for yourself, you can look it up on her TikTok, which I think I have here is Captain Kate McHugh. That's it. That's her whole name. Captain Kate, Kate McHugh. <laughs> Spell that for us again. McHugh. That's M C C U E. Okay. McHugh. Cool. The old McHugh class. <laughs> yeah, that, that does sound like an Irish last name, right? Like, like Mickey's it. malt liquor. <laughs> See crusty people drinking that at the dive bars. <laughs> Mickey's malt liquor. I've never seen that before. It's in a green bottle. It's got a B oh, on it. It's yeah. fun. You know who probably has it? Probably on uh, Wally's. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm sure. I see it at Sports Town a lot. Have you been to Wally's since uh, since they? Uh... Yeah, I like it. Yeah, I've I, I still haven't been there. Uh, for people who are not in the know, Wally's is like this legendary little uh, bar in Orlando that had been there for I don't know what since like the at least since the fifties or something like that. Yeah, uh, it was. It's one of the few pre Disney uh, local businesses. Right. Yeah. So recently it got. What did how happened to get bought? Yeah, the owner, I think, got cancer is the story I heard, and they just wanted to sell it. And so, um, you know, it it being such an old institution here, it's just got a lot of history. And so it's a really divey bar. You know, they were known for heavy pours and cheap drinks. Yep. So um, there was a lot of worry about what would happen to Wally's. But thankfully, another bar owner kind of took it over and kept it alive. So it's a little bit more cleaned up now. But apparently you could find a JP, one of the Morgan brothers. Yeah, uh, John Morgan. Yeah, John Morgan. Yeah, getting uh, getting schwasty. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, he was when it was going away. He was like posting was like, I had my first drink here at like 14 or something. We're like, whoa, hold on. Well, hold on now. <laughs> Are you sure you should be uh, including that in your homage to Wally's? They serve me underage. We got to keep it open. Like, Aren't you a lawyer? <laughs> Oh, man. 
All right, I think that that about, I can't speak today, and that about wraps it up for UFOs in the news on this episode. Now let's get into our next song, and then part two of our Disclosure Special. And the next song for tonight's episode is called Portrait by the band Blood Tape. That song was called Portrait by the band Blood Tape, also known as Chicago uh, singer-songwriter Francis Shannon. And we've had them on the we've had them on the COP podcast quite a few times. And part of the reason for that is, is in addition to just being a really, really great artist uh, in terms of their music, he's also very prolific. As of this recording, um, speaking to you on Sunday, November 28th. I guess. Uh, and uh, he just dropped another album, uh, another EP, I believe. Um, and that EP is called Smile Slight, and you can find it on their Bandcamp page. Um, that song, Portrait, was off of their EP they released earlier this month. <laughs> uh, and that EP is titled Portrait as well. Uh, and you can find that on their Bandcamp page. And man, I just got to tell you, if you haven't checked out Blood Tape and all their music yet, you really need to do yourself a favor because this is just not a band to sleep on. Uh, just it's really inspiring to me how not only how prolific he is, but just the way he composes his music. Um, like that song, for example, the way that you just kind of glide along and like the certain parts that kind of come in like that little uh, electric keyboard 
part, it just comes in at just the right moment and it just keeps you gliding along. It almost feels like listening to like lo-fi hip hop kind of stuff, but um, much more engaging than uh, a lot of that stuff ends up being for me, at least me, me personally. And it just has that really nice melancholic shoegaze vibe and God, I really love it. I really think that he's just such an amazing musician, artist. Um, he does almost everything himself. I think he does everything himself, but I don't, I, it's, it's been about a while since I asked him that question. So he, there might be some things that other people do or whatever, but I'm pretty sure it's all him. Anyways, truly a feat. If you have not done yourself the pleasure of downloading and getting into their music, please do yourself a favor and support him. He is an awesome artist and, uh, I certainly love him a lot. <laughs> Anyways, guys, over that being said, let's get back to the show. All right, welcome back and buckle your seatbelts, alien gazers. If you all are a lot like Tom and I, you were probably at least a little disappointed with the unclassified UFO report to Congress. However, stick with us as we go through a couple of key points in that document to see if we can do a little bit of reading through the lines and come to a more fruitful analysis on this decidedly limited quote-unquote, revelatory report. So let's go ahead and start with offering our general thoughts on the report. I know for me, though the content of the report seems pretty consistent with the messaging we've been getting out of the U.S. government, namely that UFOs exist but that we don't know what they are, it nevertheless provides for a new generation of UFO enthusiasts some form of validation that genuine inquiry into this topic is absolutely warranted and not some pseudoscience fantasy. And I don't think we should underestimate how valuable that kind of official validation really is and how much it does for this topic in allowing it to be taken much more seriously than it ever has. It effectively lifts one of the biggest barriers of entry into any interest in the topic. After this report, no one can ever say that UFOs aren't real. This report is about as official as you can get in the confirmation of that reality, even as reserved as it seemingly is. We'll, of course, dive into more curious bits of the report as we go on. But Tom, those are some of my thoughts regarding the report. How are you feeling about it? I feel about the same, you know, I uh, I, I kept reading posts um, from like other Reddit users on the RUFO subreddit. And they're all like, you know, hey, uh, don't get your hopes up, you know, keep your uh, expectations in check. And of course, I didn't. I was just like too excited, you know. But as you pointed out, like, I never thought about that, how no one can ever say UFOs aren't real. Like, I, <laughs> the stigma has to be gone now because I can just pull this out. In fact, I think I am going to keep a copy of this report you printed out for me at all times. So I can just whip it out and be like, no, dude, <laughs> UFOs are totally real. And government said so. And honestly, it feels like we needed that. That's kind of what. I thought was cool about this too, you know, it's like you said, this isn't just a report on something the government said. And it's like, no, here is the government saying right. this now. You on know? the record. Right. For everybody, not just for the readers of this publication, for other people to ignore. Like this was big news. And yeah, like you said, it does a lot to validate and vindicate a lot of people. People who've been pushing this topic for years are probably like, thankfully, now, now I can uh, die in peace. Right. It was like all those people who ever like spent lots of time putting, you know, effort into researching and trying to understand, you can now know without a doubt that it was not in vain. There is legitimacy to this subject. And 
you know, and that's part of the reason we do the podcast too, is that this subject is fascinating and it is so, there's so much to it. And there's layers, layers upon layers of information, disinformation, drip feed information, potentially, you know, and there's no real source you can go to to say, hey, what's really going on here? You know, it's pretty chaotic, actually. So the fact that this exists, this really is just the beginning of the UFO disclosure stuff. Like this is really just the beginning and we'll go into it as we dive through the actual article, but this really is just the beginning. Yeah, you know, the more I think about it, the more it makes sense that the report is kind of written in this way and is including this type of information because it very much seems like here's your introductory chapter on the UAP phenomenon. Right. That's a great way to put it. Yeah, yeah. This is very much like an intro into the UFO phenomenon. Right. You know, and, and, it, and it's kind of needed at this point because UFOs have, have been pretty much like they've never really left our cultural mind space, if you will, but they haven't really been as popular. It's like every decade that has like some sort of resurgence, but not in the same way as the original first wave when, you know, Roswell happened and all the stuff that happened afterwards. So right. this is the first time since back then that it's been a really big part of the conversation mm-hmm. on a mainstream level. Yeah, ever since Men in Black 2 came out. <laughs> they did a third one, didn't they? They did. They, they've done like four, I think. Or something I, like I can't remember if they did a fourth one, but I do, definitely remember the third one. Yeah. Yeah. Um, they were like went back in time or something. Yes, yes. So you had... Uh, What's his face again? They made Tommy, Tommy Lee, Lee Jones. Jones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> made him look like thirty years younger somehow. Oh, did they? I thought they did. Wow they they were they were doing it early. Yeah, my <laughs> um second cousin, my mom's cousin, who is a rich oil tycoon. Oh wow. Yeah, and I have no association with them, so I don't get any of that rich oil tycoon money. But Dang. he's out in Texas. Oh, of course. <laughs> and his neighbor is Tommy Lee Jones. And they what? They play polo together. What? The most rich guy sport. <laughs> Golf on horses. I never thought of it that way, but yeah, that's exactly what it is. Let's pull out our horses and knock a few balls around. Yeah, dude. Oh my god. Croquet's not exciting enough. You need to do it on a horse. <laughs> Oh my god! And golf is becoming is becoming too mainstream for these these rich types apparently. So yeah, no. Anytime Tommy Lee Jones comes up in conversation, I have to tell somebody that my second cousin plays polo with him. That's... <laughs> As well, you should. Remember No Country for Old Men? Yeah, yeah. That everyone was talking about that movie for a while. I can't tell you how many people I talked about Tommy Lee Jones playing oh, polo yeah. with my cousin for for that whole month. I always get I always get that movie and uh, and um, there will be blood mixed up because yeah. both they both take place in like similar locations uh-huh. and they came out around the same time right so it took me a second to get the tommy lee connection there for a second i was like wait <laughs> yeah all right but let's you know let's go ahead and dive into this document so basically what we're going to do is we are going to look at every page of this document and just kind of like give you some of our thoughts some things that we think are um bits of information that maybe are contradictory or other things that you know, we think are notable about it. So uh, with that, with that being said, let's go ahead and check out the first page. Um, Not counting the cover page, obviously. So the first page that we're looking at is page two of the document called Scope and Assumptions. 
And this kind of like gives us like a summary of what the port is supposed to be. And I just want to go give you some, uh, let me give you some of the highlights that I have in here. So I have quote, this report provides an overview for policymakers of the challenges associated with characterizing the potential threat posed by UAP, while also providing a means to develop relevant processes, policies, technologies, and training for the U.S. military and other uh, U.S. government personnel if and when they encounter UAP so as to enhance the intelligent community's ability to understand the threat. And then I'm just going to add one more part, and this is uh, towards the end of the paragraph. Quote, the data set described in this report is currently limited primarily to the U.S. government reporting incidents occurring from November 2004 to March 2021. So, that's one thing to note about this in general is a lot of people were, were wondering, is this report going to cover like everything? And no, it absolutely does not. And probably couldn't. No, unless, yeah. no there's too much. Yeah. And especially in six months. I mean, Lou yeah. Elizondo was talking about that. Like right. it's impossible to, you know, give all the information that, that they have, mm -hmm. you know, and I was, that was one of the disappointments for me. It was like, finally going to get that Roswell story. Here we go, baby. Yeah. But yeah, you know, it's interesting that they start with November of 2004. Yes. The Nimitz encounter. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. So, um, obviously that I think has been the most compelling, uh, UFO story, uh, for all different reasons we talked about before, you know, the credibility of the people who saw it, multiple people who saw it caught on different sensors the the tic tac ufo um is right. what we're referring to and there were a couple other videos that have come out the gimbal video the go fast video but the tic tac the nimitz encounter is the one that i think it's really hard to poke holes in you know it's the solid rock uh, for us ufo nerds to bring up the topic because <laughs> anyone who's <laughs> disinterested have you heard about this one so i think it's cool that they started with that at least um we're staying pretty recent you know right and that's good for the data they collect too because it's like how much can you really get if you're going to go back to 1947 or whenever yeah, that's a really good point. Yeah, because ultimately confining it to a period of time where they had the most advanced ability to detect. That's a good point, too. Is probably the safest thing, your safest bet, because the further back you go, the less people that are still around who could give you testimony, A, and then B, the less reliable the technology that they use could potentially be seen. Exactly. Yeah, that's actually how page two ends. You know, it says... Various forms of sensors that register UAP generally operate correctly and capture enough real data to allow initial assessments. So they even make it a point to note that, you know, most of this stuff that we're looking at is coming from reliable sensors and technology that we can at least get some data from, not just eyewitness testimony or, you know, stories that are 60 years old or something like that. Right. And that's one of the greatest things about about this document is that, again, it tells you not only that they are real, but that we have we've got receipts to show yeah, you exactly. it's real. Like <laughs> for anybody who says like, oh, they just said that, but whatever. No, dude, we got receipts. OK, yeah, so yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, the thing I thought was really the most interesting was that part of the intention of this report is to provide uh, provides a means to develop relevant processes policies technologies and training for the u.s military so the technologies thing that was one of the things my guess was is that whatever we reveal will be in the service of creating more technology so although that isn't the specific focus of the of the document the fact that it's included uh at least for me tells me that not that i was 100 percent right i'm not saying that but that my hunch 
could potentially be correct. I'm just I'm just throwing that out there. I'm not saying that it is. I'm just saying that that put I it on could the help. record. Nick's saying he's right. We get it. I do it before anybody. <laughs> <laughs> Worst podcast host ever. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you might be onto something there, though, dude. I mean, it, it definitely uh, gives some credence to that idea. Got to get these military guys ready to for Independence Day, you know? Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, they say training for the U.S. military, and obviously that could be something as simple as, like, training them, but, like, how to see them properly or right. whatever. But like you mentioned before, this, is, this document kind of provides an intro. This is not the end-all, be-all. This is just, this is just the beginning. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Anything else you want to note on this page? I don't think so. Other than they stopped at March 2021. I'm surprised they went all the way up to then. Yeah. You know, because yeah. wasn't the budget agreed on like, I mean, back during Trump's administration. So back this in December, would... I think. Right. Oh, OK. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That would make sense. But yeah, I wonder what sort of data and incidences they collect all the way to March. So you know, a I couple months ago. So I know that like part of the data that they recovered was from specifically the uap task force right. which was recently created mm -hmm. so they probably included as much information from that as possible and i think that that's where a majority of this information is coming from is coming from the uap task force this is the new version of a tip yes. the new version of blue book yeah, yeah. a tip 2.0 or right. blue book 3.0 or <laughs> yeah and i love how they you know they can say like oh well this program was shut down and it's like, by that, you mean you just changed its name and hired right. some new people to do the same thing you're already doing. But cool. Yeah. So UAPTF, Unidentified Aerial Phenomena Task Force is who we're getting a lot of this data from now. Right. OK. You Yeah, you can't. No fun way to say that. UAPTF. Oh, you know, it's funny. Um, I'm just going to throw this out there. Um, there's a History Channel series on the Skinwalker Ranch. Yes. And among the many things I see in it are the are UFOs. And uh, the main guy, I forget what his name is. He's the main physicist on the property. Yeah. Um, and he really um, messes with my jokes because anytime I want to sound ignorant, I always do like Southern kind of Alabama. I want to sound like I don't know what I'm talking about. And that's exactly how this guy sounds. And he's a freaking physicist. Or right. so, like, <laughs> he's like one of the smartest guys in America. And I'm like, dang it. Right. And actually, yeah, the funny thing is just that, like, whenever he says UFO, he doesn't say UFO. He calls it a UFO. It's not there. One of them UFOs. I've like, seen one of them damn UFOs go right there. Yeah, man. UFOs. <laughs> That's just beautiful. Yeah, I love that guy, though. I wish. Good thing we're not live right now. People would be screaming at us for his name, I'm sure, but. We'll look it up. We'll, we'll find out later. We'll look it up. I mean, if you, you know who we're talking about. Yeah, he's on a bunch of like History Channel stuff. He's he's, yeah. on, he's on their payroll. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> he's got that History Channel money. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like when people say that F you money. It's like, yeah, I got that History Channel money. What's up? You know, um, I am a huge fan of like Pawn Stars and American Pickers. Do you ever watch those shows? I've seen Pawn Stars a couple of episodes. Okay. Uh, they've had a couple of really cool objects on there. They're I, pretty badass. Yeah. I know. Yeah, I love it for that and american pickers is like that too it's what's, like, what's oh america is it what is it like uh picking fruit or something like that yeah, or they, is it <laughs> <laughs> they go around and picking is like a term that uh, rusty gold hunters call themselves you know they go around looking through people's oh, stuff for like okay. antiques basically that are worth oh, money oh that's cool okay, yeah that's interesting yeah yeah, yeah that's so cool. same idea like they you know they get cool objects on there like old americana stuff but anywho, I remember like one time History Channel tried to do like a, a promotion for all those shows together. And it was like 
the guys from Pawn Stars and the guys from American Pickers and the guys from like this car show all ended up being at like this bike fest out in Nevada or Utah or something like that. The whole show was like, oh, what a coincidence. We're all here together. Let's hang out, you know, and you could tell it was like totally scripted plan thing. (laughs) I would love for them to do that same thing, only throw the ancient alien guys in there. Oh, my God. So it's (laughs) it's Pondstar's dudes and George Suclios sitting there and they have nothing in common. And it's the most awkward episode of History Channel, whatever you've ever seen. I'm going to pitch that to him. Yeah, yeah, man. We we should do a whole thing on ancient aliens because that that's really a, should. That's a that's a that's an interesting thing there. It's um, ancient aliens has been on the air for so many so many years now at this point. I challenge anybody to do this. If you got some time, watch any episode from the first season and then watch any episode from the recent seasons, and you can just you can just hear the uh, the feigned interest. Yeah, you know, totally. in, the, in the recent ones, it's just like how many how many different ways can you repackage the same information over yeah. and over and, and they're over <laughs> really like drawing straws like oh yeah reaching out for like the most far out topics now because some of those episodes you're like dude there seems like something to this here and then others you're like this is such yes. bs yeah. <laughs> it's like how many episodes were you were you supposed to fill for this season like i can tell yeah. i can tell you're <laughs> for our next expert we're bringing in alex jones Wait, did they really do that? No. Oh, but but it feels like that, right? Yeah. The ancient aliens came here. They dropped off the frogs, and now they're all gay. <laughs> Dude, that's a really that's good Alex. That's a good Alex Jones. <laughs> uh, Thank you. Obviously, we do not endorse Alex Jones on this podcast. <laughs> what? Buy my man supplements. <laughs> oh man, someone get that guy some pot. All right, I gotta fast. get it. Yeah, all right, yeah. <laughs> Give me some pot. I'm about to get sued again. I gotta go. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh all right so uh page three of the unclassified ufo report to congress so this page is titled executive summary so i have a couple of things to mention here and a couple of uh things to expand upon so the the first thing we want to mention is the bold type at the very beginning of the document on page three which says the limited amount of high quality reporting on unidentified aerial phenomenon hampers our ability to draw firm conclusions about the nature or intent of UAP. Now, I want to put a little pin in that because if even without the Kurt Jaimungle interviews, there have been several interviews with Lou Elizondo and Christopher Mellon where they have both alluded to having high quality high quality satellite images of UAP. So none of this has been released to the public and they've said in these interviews that they don't plan on releasing them to the public but that they do have much higher quality photos and evidence than what they are currently showing. So the fact that they're saying the limited amount of high quality reporting to me seems like okay so at the very least if it's not complete bs at the very least whoever was compiling this report maybe they didn't have access to high quality reporting or high quality information that we do have somewhere because we're being told by Lua Lozondo and Christopher Mellon that we do have some of that stuff so I wanted to make mention of that yeah Chris Mellon actually said he wasn't really that impressed with any of those three videos I mentioned earlier. The Tic Tac go. He was like, I've seen better. (laughs) Exactly. So it's like, come on, man. Yeah. Lack of it's it's like before we get into it, let's just say we didn't have a lot of work with here. (laughs) Uh, uh, Okay. 
<laughs> you know, I believe that only if it's from the perspective of the person writing this report. Maybe he or she, because I know that from right. what Lou Elizondo said is that not many people had access to, you know, not many people were putting this report together. So maybe they had limited access. Right. You know, and that's what's going on there. So definitely want to make, make sure we mention that. And let's see, it says, as a result, the UATPF concentrated its review on reports that occurred between 2004 and 2021, the majority of which are a result of this new tailored process to better capture UAP events through formalized reporting. So even right there, that seems to be a contradiction because it says limited amount of high quality reporting. We know they've got those high high quality satellite photos that they're not showing us. So, you know, um... I think that is something that gets alluded to later on in the report. But um, it's funny because we mentioned how, you know, they start with the Nimitz encounter. And you hear all these stories about people who have these close encounters. And, you know, normally you hear like some story about the men in black showing up and, you know, asking them something or at least some sort of like shady government, shadow government entity and telling them to shut up. But uh, Commander Fravor didn't say anything like that. You know, he even was making this report about what he was seeing and talking to his team about um, the Tic Tac event and all that. And, uh, you know, he didn't have any story like that. So even even this guy who's super credible and had all this uh, interaction with the UFO after his interaction it was basically just like another normal day go about your business. And you'd think he'd be pulled off into some room and. He never said anything like that. Maybe he did, and he's just keeping that secret. But yeah, yeah, I'm guessing they waited until recently, pretty recently, to start having a formal way for guys like Fravor and other military personnel to make to formally put in these reports now um, when they see these UFOs. Right. Yeah, and it's pretty new too because I mean we know that the stigma around reporting a UFO event has has historically been you know you could lose your job you know so the fact that they actually have these in place. And that they're confirming that they're in place through this document publicly. It's no longer going to be covered up. So, so that's that's good to know. Yeah. So the next thing I wanted to mention was uh, that under this we have quote most of the UAP reported probably do represent physical objects, given that a majority of UAP were registered across multiple sensors to include radar, infrared, electro optical weapon seekers, and visual observation. I want to put a pin in this, and I want to travel to two paragraphs down. Uh, this is the paragraph that begins, quote, there are probably multiple types of UAP. And we're going to dive into that in a second. But this section of the paragraph mentions that there are five categories that could qualify for UAP. Airborne clutter, natural atmospheric phenomenon, U.S. government or U.S. industry developmental programs, foreign adversary systems, and another catch-all bin. So the fact that they are saying that most of these are physical objects, the thing is when you say airborne clutter or natural atmospheric phenomenon, you make it sound like it's this abstract thing when what we're dealing with is something absolutely physical. You know, they say most of them. So the fact that they have five categories, I don't know, it, it just seems like it seems fluff to me. I don't know. What do you think about that, Tom? Yeah, you know, when they say that they're mostly physical objects, that's the first thing I thought about, too. Is like, OK, well, there's five different categories. If most of them are physical objects, I feel like that means the atmospheric phenomenon probably is basically thrown out at that point. So it's like, OK, well, when I think back on these reports, especially and I'm sorry, I keep going back to it. But it's like I said, probably the most compelling story is the, the Nimitz one. When you go back to that and you remember the different pieces of the story about how it locked on to their eventual location that Fravor is supposed to fly to and how it 
accelerated at these crazy speeds and went from like sea level to 10,000 feet or something crazy in a second. That's a physical object that did that. Like, <laughs> right. right. So to say that it could be a private industry or maybe it's a government project or a foreign adversary, like no matter what, that's saying a lot just by saying it's these are physical objects. It's also uh, good to note that in this document, right, it says that one of the things it could be is U.S. government or U.S. industry developmental programs. But how many times have we heard Luis Elizondo say, it's not our technology. Right. So you could also cross that off. Yeah. For a majority of it, you know? So exactly. it's like, th- this is what I mean about poking holes in some of this stuff. You know, you start to see a little bit of contradictions here and there. Let me go ahead and read this next thing, which actually is before the paragraph we were just reading from. It says, quote, in a limited number of incidents, UAP reportedly appeared to exhibit unusual flight characteristics. These observations could be the result of sensor errors, spoofing, or observer misperception and require additional rigorous analysis. And personally, I read this and I just think they're using like this highly advanced radar to check this stuff, right? But it could be the result of sensor errors, spoofing, spoofing? What? It's okay to have more analysis of it, Mm -hmm. but... That they say a limited number of incidents, UAP exhibit unusual flight characteristics, but isn't something that exhibits unusual flight characteristics, isn't that by definition a UAP? So you're saying that only some of these UAP have these characteristics? Isn't that what defines a UAP, an unidentified aerial phenomenon? If it was something that we recognized, it wouldn't be UAP, you Mm -hmm. know? I just think of like the weather balloon or something, you know, maybe that's not moving in crazy directions, but someone might have reported it as, you know, I guess what I'm trying to get at here is that this seems to me like a way to invalidate, you know, yeah, Yeah, it seems almost, uh, I mean, I understand that they're trying to like be as clear and make sure like, I guess the reader knows that like, hey, we've done our due diligence here, but it's almost like they're saying before we get into it, it's probably this, but you know (laughs) right right but but it could be all these other things so if it is some of those other things or even if it's not things like oh hey we said you know this just happened to be uh spoofing whatever that is right yeah i don't know like what (laughs) how could you spoof a radar yeah is that enemies or foreign adversaries messing with it or something maybe that could be what it is maybe it's a term i'm not familiar with i guess when i read spoofing i just think fake like faking something yeah so if i am in error in reading it the way that i've read it then i apologize and i would take that back but yeah um the other thing i wanted to mention this is now this is in the paragraph we were talking about earlier it says quote there are probably multiple types of uap requiring different explanations based on the range of appearances and behaviors described in the available reporting. So the fact that there's multiple types of UAP, that is really interesting to me. And I kind of wanted to like kind of spitball a little bit with you about mm-hmm. this. What do you, what do you get from that? Well, I think about all the different incidents they looked at. I think they mentioned it later on in the document, but it was like over a hundred. It's a pretty good amount. Right. And just this past month, I believe we had three different photos that were shared from Navy pilots um, that all looked like three different UAPs. Like one was the silver blimp. Uh, another one looked kind of like translucent, kind of like something you'd see under a microscope, like an amoeba or something. And oh, I remember that one. another one looked like a 
like a top almost like a dreidel it was like a black kind of pointed pyramid shaped dreidel looking thing so i mean those were all you know taken by these pilots who couldn't recognize them and said you know that they were flying against the wind and and doing these other maneuvers that the uh report kind of mentions so i mean it makes sense and i mean even out of those three photos you know we've heard about the tic tac and the cigar shape and obviously the saucer the triangle so yeah there's a lot to unpack there could that be different foreign adversaries and their versions of reverse engineered uh, alien technology or their own creation or different alien species, perhaps their own different modes of transportation um, could be a combination of all that. Yeah. Yeah. And that, and that's kind of like where I was coming at it from because I recently got to visit the UFO watchtower, which was an amazing experience. And among the many things that I got to see there, there was this really interesting little journal I found. It was a journal done by this uh, psychologist who dealt with many different abductee experiencers. And she basically put this journal together for people who have had abduction experiences to basically, you know, document their experiences. And at the very beginning of this journal, they have a kind of like a compendium of all the different type of ETs that are out there. And again, I'm not saying that there are multiple different types of ETs. I'm just saying that there is information that suggests that there could be multiple out there, could be kind of woo-woo stuff. Who knows? I don't, but but it's out there. So I believe these are ET crafts. So I the fact that there are multiple types, it says to me that maybe, maybe it is multiple types of ET civilizations. Or like you said, it could be other foreign adversaries who have their own UFO back engineering programs, or it could be their own crafts as well. And this is going to kind of go along with something else I'm going to mention a little bit later from this page, actually. But let me just go ahead and go and reiterate that Uh, Later in this paragraph, it mentions that there are five categories that could explain UAP events, and those five categories are 1. Airborne clutter, 2. Natural atmospheric phenomenon, 3. U.S. government or U.S. industry developmental programs, 4. Foreign adversary systems, and 5. Just other. Other. (laughs) (laughs) Which is kind of interesting because, like, if it's other, like, I mean, let's just be real. I mean, the other is ETs, right? (laughs) Or that's, yeah, that's like kind of like the rebranding of UFO with UAP. And you're really just trying to avoid the automatic connection to aliens. Right. Because, yeah, if it's not any of these other things, airborne clutter or phenomena, weather phenomenon, anything else, it's, yeah, what else could it be then? either intergalactic or interdimensional interdimensional possibility yeah yeah um you know it's weird about some of these ufos like the one i mentioned that kind of looked like an amorphous kind of translucent object those are really kind of the mind-blowing ones to me because i can see you know silver blimp i can see tic tac saucer cigar shape it's probably a physical craft might have come from another star system the ones that look like weird balls of light or wiggly like like dude that's got to be like something interdimensional yeah right Uh, it was something my mind can't even process for sure the the anything regarding the skinwalker ranch stuff i think definitely qualifies in Mm -hmm. in that way and that's another thing too is that you know keep in mind that this report is really only concerning itself with the uap task force and then the atip program information so it doesn't even begin to account for like there have been actual government studies done on skinwalker ranch for example and other things like that so we don't really be know like the extent of what this phenomenon includes you know 
Could it be interdimensional? Could it be other ET races? Or maybe it's the combination of both. It's it's wild, man. Right. <laughs> or like how um, George Knapp uh, has suggested before, it could be, and and others too. I know Tom DeLonge has brought this up and plenty of other people. Um, but like ancient, you know, Earth beings. Like maybe they're oh yeah beings who were here before humans and yeah they've they, just always been here and, like a breakaway civilization like they, right. it's not that they're they're from another star system or whatever it's that they've always been here but right. they just they live apart from humans and they kind of like have found through their own version of technology they found their way to like have their own kind of like have their cake and eat it too you know have their have their lives and not have to deal with the the crazy ape people humans yeah. <laughs> yeah. They exist on, like, Earth just in a, a plane we don't see or interact with. And if that's the case, then, like, where do I apply? Where do I sign up? Dude, like, <laughs> seriously, I'm about that. Especially if you can go back and forth whenever you want. Yeah, right? Yeah. Just kind of go between the two worlds. That'd be so fun to, like, open a door that's just, like, into your kitchen, but then you walk through it and you just, like, phase into invisibility. Oh, You're my like, God. That'd be amazing. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to the kitchen in the other dimension. <laughs> I'll be back in, I don't know, maybe 10 years. I don't know what, what Could time be 100. will be for you. Yeah. I don't know uh, the relevant difference between time here and there. <laughs> oh, that's great. So the next paragraph talks about how quote UAP clearly pose a safety of flight issue and may pose a challenge to U.S. national security. Uh, safety concerns primarily center on aviators contending with an increasingly cluttered air domain. UAP would also represent a national security challenge if they are foreign adversary collection platforms or provide evidence of a potential adversary that has developed either a breakthrough or disruptive technology. And here's where I wanted to stop and mention something kind of interesting here. So a lot of the stuff that I talked about on the previous episode about how I think that whatever this report is going to reveal that it would deal with technology, a lot of that has to do with me having read a book called Secret Machines. Um, and this book is a fictional book by Tom DeLonge and I think A.J. Hartley. So Tom DeLonge has described this book as his fictional UFO story that includes real information about the UFO phenomenon. It's kind of like his way of, of cloaking disclosure in a sense. So I read this book a couple of years ago, and I definitely recommend it for anybody who's interested in this stuff. The book is actually not bad. It's good. You would think that, you know, Tom DeLonge having a hand in it, that maybe it wouldn't be written that well. But he actually, he writes it with uh, Shakespeare scholar A.J. Hartley. So it reads really well. It reads kind of like the Da Vinci Code. Does he say like hither and tither and <laughs> thou and it a lot? No, thank God. You see how big that book is. It's long. Oh my gosh. I was like... I thought you were handing me uh, Webster's Dictionary. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it reads really fast because it, it is really interesting. But anyways, so where I got this idea that maybe it had a lot to do with technology is that that's kind of like what the book's about. And by the way, this is a spoiler alert for anybody who's interested in reading the book. So I apologize for giving spoilers. But one of the main conflicts in the book is one of the main characters is brought into the U.S. government's backwards engineering UFO program, and he is tasked with learning how to fly one of these U.S. government-made UFOs. So the reason he's tasked with doing this is because in the book, other countries, specifically Russia, have created their own UFO technologies, and they have been interacting with us, and they have been spying on us, and they have their own, like, you know, UFO type of craft that they are just flying around and flying about. And so the struggle in this book, and then the sequel, which isn't as good writing-wise, <laughs> but still interesting content-wise, the, the whole struggle is, like, 
it's almost like a, a second Cold War, but with essentially alien technology. So that's kind of like what's the heart of the struggle in the two books. So because of that, that made me think, okay, well, if this is supposed to be soft disclosure in like a fictional format, what is the thing to take away from? And the thing to take away from that story is that there is some sort of like Cold War going on between different countries and having access to various forms of UFO technology. So I don't know. I just want to put that out there. What uh, what's your what are, what's your two cents on it, Tom? Um, I think that's you know definitely happening. You know, I, I'm sure that China and Russia and probably every other country in the world has their own Roswell. And uh, ever since nuclear power had been harnessed, you know, I can't imagine that the United States were the only people to get visited. I mean, especially early on in the Cold War with all those nuclear powers i mean you hear about like rendlesham forest and some of the other ones that happened over in, in europe and they're always at these nuclear facilities and stuff so i think as more countries kind of ramp up their militaries they probably had you know more visits that seems to be a correlation there so at this point like i have to imagine russia and china at least certainly you know if we're going to just assume that the you know lazar story is true in area 51 that they have you know, UFOs are reverse engineering. I'm sure those countries do too. And of course, why not use that to go spy on your, <laughs> your frenemy across the pond? Right, right. So it makes a lot of sense. You know, you hear a lot of talk too about Germany in, in World War II having some sort of access to alien technology. So, And that makes me think about this thing called the Invisible College, which is like this group of, you know, like legit scientists and physicists who study the UFO phenomenon in secret. And they do exist, and we will definitely talk about them at some point. But even going back to like the beginning of the space race, you know, people like Jack Parsons, they actually did like rituals out in like the desert where they believe they were given downloads of information from somewhere, you know, which is crazy wild stuff. And these are the people that were involved in creating our space program. So it's, they say truth is stranger than fiction. And yeah. Truth is stranger than fiction, yeah. for sure. Funnily enough, because we're talking about a fictional book. So again, as always, please take all these things with grains of salt. We are just, you know, speculating to the best of our abilities, just what we have in front of us. We are not saying that any of this stuff is for sure the case, but nevertheless, some stuff to think about. So, and then lastly, on this page, we have the paragraph that reads, consistent consolidation of reports from across the federal government, standardized reporting, increased collection and analysis, and a streamlined process for screening all such reports against a broad range of relevant U.S. government data will allow for a more sophisticated analysis of UAP that is likely to deepen our understanding. So, in other words, this paragraph essentially is making the case that we need to do more reporting and we need to have some sort of system set up to analyze these kind of reports and stuff like that. So that's a very positive thing. Yeah, I was wondering about that, too, because, you know, they're almost saying, like, you know, it would help if we had more. Right. Um, <laughs> and uh, I think on the next page, they mention how this was finally done in 2019. So it's kind of curious as to maybe they still need more than what they got now. But um, again, we've kind of pointed out how there's a few little holes in the way they're reporting here. But it's almost kind of going back to that, like. We tried to give you a report, but we don't got a lot to work here with, guys, though. Right, 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 right. <laughs> Covering their ass. Um, let's see. Um, the next page, titled, Available Reporting Largely Inconclusive. So, 
Let me just read one quote here, and this is in the second paragraph towards the end. It says, quote, We were able to identify one reported UAP with high confidence. In that case, we identified the object as a large deflating balloon. The others remain unexplained. So essentially, to clarify what they're saying here is that they, the only object that ended up being a balloon was one out of 144 reports. So I just wanted to clarify that because that definitely confused me when I read it at first. And so that's another thing, too, is that below it says that there are 144 reports originated from U.S. government sources. And of these reports, 80 reports involved observations with multiple sensors. So that's not to say that only 80 had like UAP, for example. It's just to say that 80 of them had like multiple sensors on them. So more points of reference to give you uh, something solid. Under this, it says, quote, most reports described UAP as objects that interrupted pre-planned training or military activity. So this is another bit of information that these tend to correlate with military activity, which is good to note as well. Then we have this next second section uh, titled UAP Collection Challenges. I'm just going to go ahead and read the paragraph here. It says, sociocultural stigmas and sensor limitations remain obstacles to collecting data on UAP, although some technical challenges, such as how to appropriately filter out radar clutter to ensure safety of flight for military and civilian aircraft, are longstanding in the aviation community, while others are unique to the UAP problem set. Uh, under this, it says narratives from aviators in the operational community and analysis from the military and the intelligence community describe a disparagement associated with observing UAP, reporting it, or attempting to discuss it with colleagues. In other words, we're talking about how there is still a stigma about talking about UFOs. So that's one of the things that provides kind of like a hurdle to get over in regards to learning more about this, this phenomenon. Yeah, um, I think, you know, uh, towards the bottom, one of the bullet points says, uh, although the effects of these stigmas have lessened as senior members of the scientific policy, military and intelligence communities engage on the topic seriously in public, reputational risk may keep many observers silent. Um, so it's good that, you know, we're getting these uh, new reports, especially in mainstream media, because I think that's going to help more people give out these reports. Mm -hmm. uh, but again, kind of going back to the limitations. And uh, on the same page at the very top is what I was referencing earlier, that there was no standardized reporting mechanism until 2019. And even after that, that was just for the Navy. It wasn't until 2020 that the Air Force adopted that as well. So I wonder if like the Coast Guard has something like this, because I imagine a lot of these sightings are from Navy and Air Force because they're the ones usually flying in the air off in the coast. Off the coast, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. In, in areas where it's more desolate. Right. Yeah. So I'm sure people in the Army and the Marines are probably having similar experiences, but this I hope this mechanism, they call it, for reporting UAPs is adopted um, throughout the entire military because I bet we'd get a lot of other good reports, and you know, hopefully that would continue to reduce the stigma of more and more people knew they could give these reports. Absolutely. I mean, already, I think we are seeing that stigma starting to go away. Thankfully, you know, having more and more people come up and talk like Commander Fravor or Luis, uh, Luis Elizondo or Luis, Louis, Lou Elizondo. That's, what, that's his preferred nomenclature. Good old Lou. Good old Lou. Louis. 
Louis. <laughs> She's like, no, that's don't come here. <laughs> I can almost hear his voice like saying that, you know. Right. Um, then in the very last paragraph, I wanted to mention, um, and I wrote a note for this, um, and I'll share it in a second. So it reads, quote, sensor vantage points and the numbers of sensors concurrently observing an object play substantial roles in distinguishing UAP from known objects and determining whether a UAP demonstrates breakthrough aerospace capabilities. Optical sensors have the benefit of providing some insight into relative size, shape, and structure. Radio frequency sensors provide more accurate velocity and range information. And I'm skipping ahead a little bit here. There was some clustering of UAP observations regarding shape, size, and particularly propulsion. UAP sightings also tended to cluster around U.S. training and uh, testing grounds, but we assess that this may result from a collection bias as a result of focus attention. Greater numbers of latest generation sensors operating in those areas, unit expectations, and guidance to report anomalies. So actually, um, that wasn't part of the previous paragraph. I just accidentally went ahead because I thought it might have been. But in any case, what I wrote for that previous paragraph was basically it seems to be suggesting they want to encourage the U.S. government to spend more money on the UAP task force to allow them to have these more advanced optical sensors to you know get better information about these objects so possible connection to getting more technology to check these things out right yeah it's interesting how they point out these sensors aren't really equipped to monitor uap and they could also be spoofed or just inaccurate you know so it helps when you hear from some of these reports that there were also eyewitnesses to see this stuff to back up right what the sensors are reading um, but yeah, it makes me wonder, okay, well, if these sensors aren't equipped to watch something ascend from 20,000 feet to sea level or whatever, um, we need to get on that. So we right. can't start monitoring them. Right. 100%. So that next page, um, I'm just going to go ahead and read, read it for contextualization. So this is in the section on page five under the paragraph titled, but some potential patterns do emerge. And I'll reread that quote I just read. I apologize for having to read it a second time. It says, quote, there was some clustering of UAP observations regarding shape, size, and particularly propulsion. UAP sightings also tended to cluster around U.S. training and testing grounds, but we assess that this may be results from a collection bias as a result of focus attention, greater numbers of latest generation sensors operating in those units, Oh, sorry, areas, unit expectations, and guidance to report anomalies. So the correlation between seeing UFOs and being, them being on military grounds, what they're claiming is that, yes, that tends to be a correlation. However, it's also partially a correlation by, you know, by the fact that they have these sensors that are able to see them. So they can't really say for sure if it is a true correlation. And, you know, scientifically speaking, that is 100% valid. I, I would say that. Right. And they're also purposely pooling their data from mostly military. Right. So, of course, they're going to be around training and, you know, other different military associated facilities. But that, that's not to say, though, because, I mean, some of the people who have talked about this, for example, um, it wasn't Commander Fravor. It was another person. I think it was Ryan. I forget what his last name was. But. Anyway, it wasn't just this one person. Several different people from the U.S. military who have talked about UFOs have talked about seeing them, you know, not just one day, one other day randomly. No, but seeing them consistently for like over a year. Mm -hmm. You know, we we definitely covered that story in one of our previous episodes. So 
so the fact that you're seeing them consistently for over a year, although yeah, you've got the technology to tell to to give us the receipts that you know they were there. The fact that they can be seen consistently for a course of a year at military sites, it's like it almost recontextualizes that correlation because, I mean, like, I don't see UFOs all the time. I sure as hell look for them, yeah. you know, but but it's just not the case for me. I, I don't think it's the case for most people. So mm-hmm. even though they have the ability to sense that they're there, it doesn't necessarily mean that there isn't a positive correlation between ufos and military sites yeah they also use that as a reason for why this is worth checking out now you know they talk about how it could be a threat from foreign adversaries and i've like complained about this argument before because i'm always like oh yeah it's a threat now right but not back in the 40s or 50s when they're right. flying over the capital whatever but you know they use that to back that claim up I'm like oh well these are always happening around military facilities so it would give credence to the idea that they are foreign adversaries who want to come and spy on what we're doing, you know? Yeah. But I could just as easily say it's like, well, it could also be that the aliens don't want us blowing each other up and starting a third world war. 100%. So they're going to come check on you. <laughs> right, right. Just like the stuff from the phenomenon, you know? What was the message that the kids received in Zimbabwe? Technology was not good. Right, <laughs> right. Yeah, it, it was going to lead to us destroying the planet. Yep. Uh, there was a report uh, recently that talked about how in 2040, that will be the point at which our economy uh, will collapse. Now, I don't know if I remember the specific report, but look it up for yourself if you're listening to this right now and you're curious. Um, but basically, I saw a report recently that said that we are on track with that being the case. Yeah. So, you know, I tend to put a little more stock in that, that idea uh, mm-hmm. personally, so... You know, that's just me. I hope we got until 2040. That gives me time to prepare. There you go. <laughs> I still got time to get my Berkey. Yeah, right. <laughs> Berkey is this uh, this really good water filtration system thing uh, that you can get that can actually filter out rainwater. It's a check it out if you're into you know having water. Apparently, the water wars are coming. Yeah, <laughs> that's what, if you're into having water. If you're into having water, you know, I mean, I guess, I guess Gatorade gives you the <laughs> electrolytes, electrolytes, right? Yeah. Uh, idiocracy. <laughs> uh, we're already in it. Oh yeah. Classic. Great movie though. And, uh, you know, Luke Wilson is as popular as, uh, as Owen Wilson, but he's pretty great. I like him. I like Luke Wilson. I like him better. You like him better? Yeah. Yeah. I just, he no. just, he just doesn't say, oh, wow. Oh, which, wow. which I, I, I can't help but just love every time he says, he says it in every single thing. Like, <laughs> Oh, wow. Wow. Yeah. Oh, wow. <laughs> Have you seen uh, the compilation videos that people put together? Yes. 100%. So They're great. so good. I'm going to start saying that to all the news for the rest of this episode. Oh, wow. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's so great. All right. Uh, the next uh, the next part of this page, oh, we're still on page five, it says, I'm sorry, the, the title of this next section says, and a handful of UAP appear to demonstrate advanced technology. So uh, I'm going to go ahead and read this whole section here. In 18 incidents described in 21 reports, observers reported unusual UAP movement patterns or flight characteristics. Some UAP appeared to remain stationary in winds aloft, move against the wind, maneuver abruptly, or move at considerable speed without discernible means of propulsion. And I highlighted this next portion. It says, in a small number of cases, military aircraft systems process radio frequency energy 
associated with UAP sightings. Okay, and that's where I'm going to stop right there. Um, the fact that they're registering radio frequency energy, I don't know exactly what that means in terms of like what deeper association that could be, but that is something that you know, we have heard before that UFOs somehow interrupt technological things. I mean, obviously, we've heard the, the, the stories of UFOs interacting with military bases and shutting off our ability to use nuclear weapons. But uh, there's also been like way back in the very beginning of the podcast, the second episode uh, talked about, you know, the guy Stefan Mikulak who got burned by a UFO. And we also mentioned the Cash Landrum incident where people were uh, standing outside observing a UFO and they got burned from it. So radio frequency energy, uh, I don't know what that could be, but I think that that's very interesting and I think very notable, especially if it was only associated with 18 incidents. You know, it's a small number of the 144 that they've seen. So I, I think that that's very notable and that if it is true that maybe most of these objects are you know, our technology or foreign adversary technology, it would seem that maybe the ones with radio frequency energy associated with them, maybe those are the ET crafts or something like that. I don't know. What do you think, Tom? I was wondering the same thing. I was like, okay, radio frequency energy. If it just said radio frequency, that sounds like they were trying to talk to him or something. (laughs) (laughs) My alien language. Oh, like uh, like in signs, you know, that. Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Or however they talk or whatever. (laughs) For the baby monitor. (laughs) Yeah, right. Um, But the fact that it says energy at the end, I I wonder if it's like from, gosh, I'm trying to remember the FLIR camera, you know, where they can actually see like the infrared and uh, actually see like temperatures and stuff like that. But either way, what it sounds like is that in these handful of cases, we've got good data. We don't just got data. We got like hardcore, you know, receipts of our. <laughs> we got super receipts. <laughs> I like that. It's like the saying. CBS receipts. Right. The very long, detailed ones with coupons and surveys you can take to win five bucks. But yeah, that's what it sounds like to me is like uh, if we got in some of these cases, we have these RF signals associated with sightings. That means we've had a real good read on them and at least had some sort of interaction with the UAP. Yeah, it's it, again, it goes, goes to emphasize that these are real things and that these are real things doing things that really don't make a whole lot of sense compared to what we know currently about aviation and how aviation works. You know, and then like towards the end of that section two, or actually the very end of it, they say we are conducting further analysis to determine if breakthrough technologies were demonstrated. Okay, sure, but I mean, you already saw it on your sensors and had other people see it, and you're saying that they're traveling these speeds with no propulsion, like... And they're physical. (laughs) And they're physical. What other evidence do you need to determine if breakthrough technology was made? Like, right to actually hold it and look at it, I guess. Wherever it's coming from, whether it's ETs or or the Chinese or, or, or Russians or interdimensional or it's the comvi like we mentioned earlier like whatever like it's definitely some breakthrough technology it's something (laughs) we don't have for sure and don't understand scientifically and i i think that that would be that qualifies as a breakthrough maybe we should ask jim morrison because he's always breaking on through the other side you know so (laughs) i'm gonna go ahead and leave on that one (laughs) 
I'm sorry, I couldn't help it. You have to dig them up out of France for that one. There you go. In the in the coffin that's smaller than a normal human body, apparently, right? Is that true? That's that's what I've heard about it. That that that's one of the, the conspiracies around his death is that like his uh the coffin that he was put in was smaller than his actual body, so they think that it wasn't actually him in the coffin or something <laughs> there's always conspiracies tied around those big rock stars always the the paul mccartney's dead by the way no <laughs> it's funny i was watching that mccartney three two one thing on netflix right now oh yeah it's really cool it's kind of like if you like the beatles he talks about just different songs and they go back and whatever but they're like showing him being interviewed and then showing these pictures of him back in like the 50s and 60s with the beatles and so obviously the same guy and he tells these stories in great detail. It's right. like, obviously, he has these memories. It's so funny that people are like, he's a, a copy of clone. You know what it really is? It's it's all the stuff that, that John Lennon put, you know, about like how Apollo the walrus or the, the image of Paul McCartney on... Uh, on the Sgt. Pepper where he has no shoes or whatever. So people like say like, oh, you're not buried with shoes. So it implies that Paul is dead. Oh my God, Paul really was dead. You know, it's like all these little, little tiny, like artistic things uh-huh. that the Beatles did that people start looking at and associating like, Guys, everyone chill out. Everyone was taking a lot of acid at that period of time. <laughs> like A lot of crazy stuff was going on. Right. Like, doesn't mean Paul McCartney's dead. Yeah, <laughs> Tupac's in Cuba too. Yeah, that's right. Right. <laughs> All right, so um, the next uh, section in this document is, is titled UAP probably lack a single explanation. Oh, you think? <laughs> <laughs> right, and we don't need to get into too deep into this, but the quote here is there are multiple types of UAP requiring different explanations. And I thought that was interesting because, you know, when I think UFOs, I just think UFO, a light in the sky that's moving in a very, very strange way. You know, so the fact that they're saying there's multiple types of UAP, you know, it's going back to some of the stuff they said earlier, earlier that, you know, that it could be like airborne clutter or I don't know, what have you. Because even using the word phenomenon implies some some abstraction mm-hmm. that you can, you know, apply to it. But this isn't an abstract, you know, mm-hmm. it, it's the fact that we're seeing multiple variations of this physical phenomenon. It's just, I don't know, I struggle with calling it even calling it a a phenomenon in a sense that like, you know, phenomenon is like an abstract natural process. Mm-hmm. You know, this is a phenomenon that is in the sense that it's it, this occurrence that we don't yet understand, but it does not seem at least according to some of the data, considering that it's physical, that it's some sort of like weather phenomenon, for example, or something like that. Yeah. You know, I was just thinking about, you know, all the other reports that they could probably get if they looked into USOs or USPs or whatever, but the submers- submersive, submersible? Submersible, yeah. <laughs> yeah, because you hear a lot of those stories too about, you know, these UFOs that are in the air then also go underwater. Um, You know, the one from... Right, right, right. It's not just stuff in the skies. It's also stuff that goes into the ocean as well. That's a good point. It makes me think point. if there's like some mariners, you know, in, a, in the Navy that see these objects underwater and if they're making these reports too. Oh, wow. And that's going to open up a whole nother can of worms for the op- U- yeah. <laughs> UAPTF. <laughs> There'd have to be a whole nother division, right? USPTF. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, man, that that's really interesting. Yeah, I, I wonder if there ever have been weird phenomenon a seen in the oceans. 
and if any of those people are alive and have testimony to offer that, that's a really good point. Yeah. Because I mean, if they're, if they are able to go in the ocean, it stands to reason that submarines should be able to see something, mm -hmm. if nothing else, then like a disturbance in the water that they can't explain. Uh, but that's really interesting. Wow. Um, below this, we also have uh, definitions for what airborne clutter, natural atmospheric phenomenon, um, U.S. government industry developmental programs, and foreign adversary systems are referred to. I won't cover every single thing, uh, just kind of like a couple of things about what they could be. So airborne clutter, these objects include birds, balloons, recreational unmanned aerial vehicles, or airborne debris like plastic bags that muddle a scene and affect an operator's ability to identify true targets. Uh, natural atmospheric phenomenon includes ice crystals, moisture, thermal fluctuations that may register on sun infrared and radar systems. Okay, that makes a little bit of sense, but at the same time, I'm still calling BS on it. Um, right. uh, U.S. government or industry deve de developmental programs. Some UAP observations could be attributable to development and classified programs by U.S. entities. But again, Lou Elizondo is saying that it's not us, so what? <laughs> Rob we are, Bigelow. We, what's that? It's Rob Bigelow. It's Rob Bigelow, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> look him up. Oh, yeah, Robert Bigelow? Yeah, definitely look up Robert Bigelow. Um, and then last, foreign adversary system, or not last, I think, uh, fourth on here is foreign adversary systems. Some UAP may be technologies deployed by China, Russia, and uh, another nation or a non-governmental entity. The scariest in this list, in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah. So what does that mean? Non-government. I, I highlighted it like non-governmental entity. Because yeah. that, that the question for me is, does that imply an ET civilization or does that imply a breakaway government thing? Like there are some people who believe that the people who are like ultra rich or whatever have some sort of breakaway civilization that they've been able to, you know, have access to it maybe it's something like that so i don't know if they're implying something like that you know or yeah, it's jeff like... bezos went to space today on his own dime do you see that what no i didn't see that what yeah um that launch this morning gosh what was it called blue freedom or something like that uh the jeff... blue freedom <laughs> no it's not it's it's blue something oh okay well, so it's not blue freedom but i was gonna no. say how amazing it would be if it was blue freedom. yeah <laughs> but of course like elon musk jeff bezos and uh the guy from virgin branson can't remember his name now um you know they're all working on getting this commercial space flight stuff going and today from texas bezos his brother a former astronaut, a female astronaut, and an 18-year-old kid whose dad bought him a ticket, flew up into space. Yeah, it's crazy. So, I mean, like, wow. yeah, you know, there's private entities out there that are making these, you know, advancements in space flight. So I can see that being a part of it. And, you know, especially uh, since we have that stuff here. Oh, okay. Can so imagine China and Russia having their own rich billionaires flying stuff around and Okay, so they're implying that this is like from some space based companies or like right. private industry in other words. Right. Okay. Okay. Yeah. That that helps. That's how I took it. But like when I'm reading this list, I'm like airborne clutter. Okay. Keep your trash out of the air. People throw away your plastic bags at an acceptable recycling location. <laughs> Most Publix and Walmarts will do that. Natural atmospheric phenomenon. Okay, just, I don't know. Like they said, ice crystals, ball lightning, which I'm still not convinced ball lightning is an actual natural phenomenon. You know what I'm talking about? So it is, but like it's... The, it looks insane. Yeah, it, it does. looks like a UFO flying yeah, around. Yeah, 
I don't buy that using that as a frequent explanation for UFOs because ball lightning is a very rare phenomenon. But I feel like ball lightning as a phenomenon is more rare than UFO sightings. Cause it's crazy rare. Like, especially because like if we have a person from the military saying that they've seen UFOs every single day for over a year, I would say that, yeah, ball lightning is probably more rare than than UFOs. Right. Exactly. Um, But OK, trash, cool or people's drones, whatever. Uh, ball lightning or ice crystals. Fine. Um, U.S. or industry developed programs. If they're U.S., I mean, at least. You know, it's good old America. I don't got to worry about it. And then the other bin, like we mentioned before, is pr- probably aliens, right? Because they're just they don't want to say aliens. So they're yeah, like, yes. Uh, other. So we actually didn't read that one. So the, the other category that is described as, quote, although most of the UAP described in our data set probably remain unidentified due to limited data or challenges to collection, processing or analysis, we may require additional scientific knowledge to successfully collect on, analyze and characterize some of them. We would like to group such objects in this category pending scientific advances that allow us to better understand them. UAPTF intends to focus additional analysis on the small number of cases where a UAP appeared to display unusual flight characteristics or signature management. So in other words, what they're saying is that the other category is that it's kind of like they're putting a pin in all those things because it's like we really don't know what's going on here. Yeah, and it's crazy when you take that with the report that they're saying most of this stuff's physical. So it's a physical craft that's been seen on, you know, sensors and eyewitnesses. It's not a foreign entity. It's not atmosphere phenomenon. It's not private industry. So it's like that other box is pretty limited on what it could be, right? You know, it's right. like what if it's not any of those things, what else is it? But the foreign adversary one is the one that freaks me out because out of all this list of the five categories, that's the one that I feel like, okay, would have the malicious intent. They're actually here to spy and they're trying to get some dirt on whatever our military is doing. All the other things, I'm like, okay, cool. I'm cool with that. Even the other category. (laughs) Oh, yeah, yeah. Honestly, I'm not afraid of ET civilizations. I'm afraid of humans. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And and what humans can do, you know? Because, I mean, like... Uh, look no further than the past hundred years, what humans have done in the past hundred years. I mean, come on. <laughs> yeah, right. What have ETs done? Oh, they've uh, they've apparently talked to people, you know, in Zimbabwe, apparently. Mutilated <laughs> a lot of cows, apparently. Yeah, or that too, right? But, I mean, they're not doing anything to me, so. <laughs> <laughs> and a lot of that cow mutilation is out in Skinwalker, right? Or is it all over? It, it is relatively all over, but, yeah, there's a lot of it at Skinwalker, yeah. which... You Which know. that's like those are interdimensional demons. We know that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he is a void skinwalker. Everybody else is cool. Yeah. Right. 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 <laughs> uh, but actually, if anybody's interested in cattle mutilations, uh, look no further than Linda Moulton Howell. She has a lot of probably the most amount of investigating into this phenomenon. So she's got a lot. She's a good resource for for that stuff specifically. But yeah, the thing that scares me the most is the idea that we have this technology and that we're hiding it and other nations have this technology and that they're hiding it and there's like some sort of secret cold war going on. That's that's terrifying. <laughs> but that this could be aliens is like that's that's cool. That's yeah. like super awesome to me. <laughs> yeah, it's like I fantasize about it daily that this just becomes an accepted mainstream idea. And, right. And everything becomes Futurama at that can, point. Yeah. And I can stop paying taxes <laughs> and worrying about money <laughs> that's the hope at least of course it wouldn't go down that way 
No, no. You, honestly, you know, I mentioned Futurama, but you know, one thing I love about that show is just uh, how wild it is, but yet how blase everyone is to how wild it is. Mm. And it, it's in that sense, it feels like the most grounded depiction of the future you could possibly imagine. Yeah. You know, like the year 3000, there's like ET, you know, different types of ET civilizations that we're just cool with or yeah. whatever. And there's an earth and the whole planet is America, apparently. <laughs> it's uh just, it's just hilarious but ever you know but no one's really upset about ets or whatever like there's they've got et uh races are doing the news or whatever right. and stuff. it's just yeah so that that's pretty cool i mean I don't, I don't think i like the the demon robot santa claus uh as much in that world but you know maybe maybe a little <laughs> less commercialism but um i'll keep the cheer i'll that's keep fine. the cheer yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> hold the commercialism <laughs> all right the next section uh we're on page six now you is titled uap threatened flight safety and possibly national security i'm just gonna read a quick little thing here uap pose a hazard to safety of flight and could pose a broader danger if some instances represent sophisticated collection against u.s military activities by a foreign government or demonstrate a breakthrough aerospace technology by a potential adversary i mean duh yeah, and you know, a little further on, it says we currently lack data to indicate any UAP are part of a foreign collection program. So it's like this could be bad. We have no reason to believe it's happening. <laughs> Again, with the contradictions. Yeah. Yeah. Exa yeah. Exactly. You know that uh -huh. that's one of the actual categories. Oh, it could be you know foreign adversary collections. We have no data to indicate that, but it could be. You know, exactly. It's just like, and if it is, that could be bad you know right. and that's kind of the, i feel like they lean on that as the reason for doing this whole report and for taking yes. it seriously it's like here's the main reason why you should care you know because this could potentially be bad for our national security however we have no reason to believe that's the case <laughs> at all you know um so it's it's kind of weird how they they play into that and i know we've talked about this before you and i nick but um you know, the more I read into that and, and the more I see how this report kind of is leaning on that idea, the more I start to um, entertain this idea that, you know, there's going to be so, this Cold War is happening and it turns hot, you know. And right. They're trying to, like, prepare people for that possibility. And it's a scary thought. I, I hate to to think of it like that. But, you know, it like I pointed out before, why is it a national security now and not back in the fifties? Right. Know? That's a good point. If, if the potential answer to that question is that now multiple nations have this kind of technology, then that could be, that could be an answer, you know? Yeah. Or even like the, the Stephen Greer stuff that maybe this is all leading to a, you know, a false flag UFO event, you know? And again, we're not saying that that's something that's out there, but certainly the, the fact that they try to emphasize this element of it being a threat, you know, it could be that that's just the best way to get this information out there, you know, to get people to take it seriously. True. But there could also be multiple different dimensions of it. I mean, the truth is, is that we really, we really don't know. It's really whatever they're giving us is still just scratching the surface because we know we know they know more. Well, you know, Tom DeLong says that we'll probably all be pretty thankful of the government after uh, <laughs> we get disclosure. And I think this is kind of going back to what he's saying. I think it's safe to say or assume that the government um, knows more about this phenomenon than what they're alluding to. But it's been kept secret for whatever reason, and now they're starting to realize it's okay to disclose, but they're doing it in baby steps. 
Um, So maybe part of that is saying like, you know, hey, look, this could be a potential threat. So that's why we're being so hush hush tiptoe about it. But under that same heading, you know, where they say it's the one that says potential national security challenges, that same heading where they're saying we don't really have much data to indicate that these are foreign adversaries. Um, Something I, I pointed out earlier is, you know, they say the fact that we keep seeing them at these military facilities is the reason why we're taking this uh, with such concern. However, it ends this section by saying that these UAP have been detected by the U.S. government's most advanced sensor systems. So they're saying they're being detected by the most advanced sensor systems. However, our sensor systems aren't equipped to detect these UAPs and that we need better AI in order to do this and that the sensors could be spoofed or messed with. So it's kind of coming down to... Either way, it doesn't matter because our sensors aren't good enough to detect them. They could be spoofed and they're our most advanced systems anyway. So we couldn't currently make one that could detect them. So all in all, it kind of comes down to (laughs) we don't know. And if they are a threat, they're not doing anything right now. So (laughs) it's it's probably in the other box. Contradictions abound, man. It's it's I did like that they mentioned that you know, that we need more advanced systems. Cause again, that, that definitely jives with the thing I was mentioning, you know, last episode that this report has to do with getting better technology made um, in service of something, whether that service is, you know, creating our own UAP crafts or that service is, you know, trying to come up with better ways to observe these craft. Um, but let's go ahead and move on to the, the next section. The um, explaining UAP will require analytic collection and re- uh, and resource investment. I'm not going to read a whole bunch of this stuff because it's um, kind of goes back to what you were just saying. Is like their intent is that hopefully we start to get a more organized system and way of collecting this data. Exactly. Yeah. They just put more uh, more specific terms in it. For example, like, you know, talking about how they want to employ artificial intelligence, machine learning algorithms to cluster and reorganize similarities and patterns and patterns in features of the data points, et cetera, and so forth. So yeah, so that's pretty much what's going on there. They're just talking about needing to have a better system, both on the bureaucratic side, like having a place to channel this information, as well as having better technology to uh, sense these things, uh, including artificial intelligence and stuff like that. And then it goes on uh, the next page on page seven to expand upon this, saying that most of the UAP data is from the U.S. Navy, um, but there are efforts to standardize reporting across U.S. military services, which is great. We mentioned that earlier as well. One thing I like about this page is, you know, kind of piggybacks off of, you know, that idea of we want to improve this, you know, so that's kind of one of the big takeaways from the report um, is, you know, they're saying these are physical objects that are visiting our airspace of which we don't know their origin and they're operating in pretty impressive ways that we can't explain um and that we're trying to figure out what these things are like that's the next step is you know here's here's where we're moving forward with this but they mention how the navy has a way of reporting this the air force has a way of reporting it and that they're going to start working in conjunction or at least they have been receiving data from the federal aviation administration and that's like your average guy or girl sitting in the tower at the airport, you know, helping right. get traffic, uh, air traffic together. Um, and I can't imagine what stories those people have. Oh, yeah. You know, like I initially think of the O'Hare incident 
Um, and I'm so excited because me and my wife are going to O'Hare and Chicago next month, two months from now. I'm definitely going to go to the gate where this UFO sighting has happened. If you look up O'Hare UFO incident, uh, there was a saucer that came out of the clouds and hovered around uh, O'Hare Airport right outside of Chicago for like a couple minutes. I think it was like five minutes or something and then popped back up uh, into the sky so fast that it broke a hole through the overcast. Um, so people could see like a circular shaped hole through a mostly overcast sky. And mo- a lot of people saw this, too. So I just think of that, you know, and how many other incidences are like that for your average air traffic controller. I'm kicking myself because I don't remember the name of the case, but there was a case where a UFO actually hit a an, an airplane and it, it actually left a dent in it. Yeah. No way. Yeah, I, that's why I'm, I'm kicking myself because I don't remember what, what the name of the case. We will cover it on the podcast mm-hmm. at some point because that is just like, whoa. Yeah. And then incidences like that and the one from O'Hare, like grounded planes, like it, right. it halted traffic for a while. So I can't wait to see, you know, hopefully that's where I don't know if we're going to talk about this here in a minute, but hopefully that's where this report goes. And after this is. You know, okay, now let's start really collecting this, really getting a way to look at this stuff so we can start to answer, you know, the question. It's okay, well, what is it then? Right, exactly. Yeah, and the thing that I, the note that I had here is that um, most of uh, what this page does is it kind of explains why other agencies should be involved. And that's pretty much obvious. I mean, the more, the more data, the better. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it goes back to like um, Lazar's story where he was, one of the things he was really frustrated about was the compartmentalization of information on UFO topics. And it's something that's been happening, you know, forever, especially if you've looked into, you know, the other things uh, like uh, Project Blue Book and MJ-12 and all that stuff. Or even the Manhattan Project. Manhattan, yeah, exactly. And Paperclip, all the the classified programs all have this compartmentalization aspect to them, you know, so... And that's not good for science. You need collaboration. So um, hopefully that seems to happen more. At least it looks like it's going to with the FFA and the USAF and the Navy. Of course, it's anyone's guess as to whether we'll ever, you know, get confirmation of Bob Lazar's story. That's compartmentalization. It like it's not even like the government. It's like something outside of the government, but also within it kind mm-hmm. of thing like the basically the intelligence agencies so yeah it's you, you gotta wonder are we ever gonna find out if that was true probably not in our lifetime yeah the cool thing about him is you get little proofs to his story all the time like as years yeah. go on you know he's more and more store stuff comes out where you're like oh okay yeah that the speaking of which that's another thing in the in, in the kurt jai mungle interview with jeremy corbell is that he talks about how there's more information about bob lazar that's going to be coming out mm-hmm. soon which is Definitely got me on the edge of my seat. <laughs> uh, I, I know we've been kind of jumping around here, but that reminded me of a video I saw recently where back in the 80s when Bob Lazar first was, you know, coming out and talking about this stuff. And he was explaining how the uh, flying saucer operates. And, you know, he talks about these generators that are inside or whatever. But he says, you know, part of the way this thing will fly is it will tip up on its side. And fly on its side, which is yes. exactly what we see in the video. Exactly. <laughs> the yes. guy's like, oh, it's rotating. So that was like another thing where I think he got a little bit of vindication. Could have been a total coincidence. But hey, the fact that he explained pretty much what you see in the video years ago is pretty exactly. crazy. Yeah. And I highly recommend anybody who has not already checked it out. Check out his uh, his biography, his autobiography, because it is amazing. His story is incredible. And 
I think he's legit for sure. Yeah. So the so the last bit on this page it's titled Expand Collection, which just talks about how the UATPF is looking for novel ways to increase collection of UAP cluster areas. And I just highlighted this too because it implies that there are areas where UAPs tend to cluster, which is interesting because uh, obviously we know that uh, Skinwalker Ranch is one of those places. So it's a question of like you know why cluster in certain areas. I mean maybe it makes sense with the military stuff if it indeed is true that. Maybe if it is ETs that they are concerned with our nuclear technology, but, you know, I wonder what other areas are clustered around, you know, I'd be curious if it maybe has something to do with the magnetic energies or frequencies of the earth or something. Yeah, you know, we talked about how there's different types of UAPs, which could be indicative of different types of ETs, you know, Mm -hmm. or can we agree that these are intellectually designed and operated? Holy. So we can say that these are some sort of intellectual species that's behind them 100 percent, whether they're human or otherwise right okay so in that same sense you know i i start to entertain the idea of you know maybe there's some et or, or beings that primarily live and operate underwater you know um, oh that's an interesting idea. like the atlanteans yeah. and they have a particular craft and you see them really around the coast or the deep sea there's other entities that maybe be are subterranean and you see them in the desert or something dude i, re- <laughs> I really like that idea that's fascinating yeah, yeah 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 because again we don't know you know but if the different types of uap could be accounted for because there were different et civilizations that would make a lot of sense because, I mean, like if as Earth people, we would probably want to be on something that has ground as close to water and but like not too close to water. You right. know, we wouldn't want to be like on a tiny island. But but yeah, that's what we would do if we were on if we were on a foreign planet. We would go to where wherever the area is most familiar to us. Right. Yeah. And, you know, even if we assume that maybe a lot of these are like ancient Earthlings and they've been here for a long time, predate humans or whatever. They would have different craft, I assume, to travel in different ways and places, just like how we have cars, boats, and planes, you know? We're, right. We all make different types of craft to go and do different things. Could be the same thing with um, these UAPs and why you see them in certain places and why they look different. There's like a functionality to mm-hmm. each of the different types of craft. That's an interesting thought. I like that. Mm-hmm. I like that. Yeah. Thanks. and uh, and then the final section here is titled increase investment on research and development and here is where is where nicholas gets his uh (laughs) i'm joking but uh yeah it just talks about how i'm just gonna read it it says the uatpf uh uaptf has indicated that additional funding for research and development could further the future study of the topics laid out in this report uh, such investments should be guided by a UAP collection strategy, UAP research and development tactical roadmap, and a UAP program plan. And the fact that all these titles that I just mentioned are capitalized, it seems like they're essentially laying out like, we've got this idea of how to do this ready to go. We just need the funding for it. So um, it really does seem like the thing they're talking about and research and development is more more likely than not talking about stuff that they can use to analyze and see UAPs and stuff like that. But, you know, who knows? But that that seems to make the, make the most sense. Then, then page eight uh, just has the uh, appendix A, which is the definition of key terms. 
We don't need to really necessarily go into this too much. It just gives us definitions for unidentified aerial phenomenon, a UAP event, a UAP incident, and a UAP report. Pretty self-explanatory. But what is less uh, self-explanatory and that I thought was really interesting was the Appendix B. So in Appendix B, this is what if we were in the Senate, we would get we would have gotten the expanded version. And this is this is kind of like the extent of what we can get as the civilian public. So essentially, the Senate report reads beyond this page is what I'm saying. So then this page also gives us an idea of what is in that Senate report. So let's go ahead and dive into it a little bit. It says, quote, in the very top, Senate reports 116-233 accompanying the Intelligence Authorization Act for fiscal year of 2021 provides that the DNI in consultation with the SECDEF, don't know what that is, um, and other relevant heads of U.S. government agencies is to submit an intelligence assessment of the threat posed by UAP and the progress the UAPTF has made to understand this threat. So then it goes into describe what the Senate report was requested to include. So one of the more obvious things is the first one, a detailed analysis of UAP data and intelligence reporting, et cetera, and so forth. But the thing that I thought was most interesting was number two. Number two says that the Senate report specifically requested a, quote, detailed analysis of unidentified phenomenon data collected by A, geospatial intelligence, B, signals intelligence, C, human intelligence, and D, measurement and signatures intelligence. So I wanted to talk about this for a section, second because I was, I forget which interview it was I was listening to, but it was an interview with someone who was in the government who mentioned that there are, we have so many variations of intelligence agencies in the government, like there are more intelligence agencies than we can count on two hands. Like somewhat this person, I forget what the number was the person said, but the person at the very least implied over a hundred. And so I don't know about you, Tom, but I've never heard of geospatial intelligence. I've never heard of signals intelligence. I've never heard of human intelligence or measurements and signatures intelligence. But it implies that these are intelligence groups within our government. And that, to me, is a huge revelation because, I, at least me personally, I had no idea that we have this specific I mean, I figured to some extent we do have stuff like this, but like, I don't know, to see specific things, geospatial intelligence, what? Signals intelligence, what? Human intelligence, what, what? Measurement and signatures, what, what is all this stuff like about? Yeah. What, what do these agencies do? Right. Like I, I was trying to imagine the difference between especially signals intelligence and measurement and signatures intelligence. Yeah. So. I, I mean, very specific yeah right my guess is that geospatial intelligence are people who just monitor airspace and just see things flying around that makes sense yeah uh signals intelligence my guess is like looking for signals from outer space you hear sometimes about how nasa or this satellite or something will pick up radio waves from like a star system or something yeah i wonder yeah. if that has anything to do with it. human intelligence i'm guessing just like human observation that seems to me like it could be data collection on human beings in the here and now oh, and stuff like that, gotcha. which is scary, but go on. Sorry. No. And then measurement and signature intelligence like that. I'm just like, I don't know. What are they measuring? Like, right, um, right. What and, signatures and, are you looking at? I don't... Right. And, and like, so th this to me could just 
at least for me, expands my my awareness of the fact that the intelligence agency is freaking huge, apparently. I mean, signals intelligence, if they are analyzing stuff from... Because again, each of these capitalized you know, places are agencies. How big they are or what exactly they do, we don't know, but they exist. And it's, for example, let's say that your your guess about signals intelligence is correct. Okay, so if they're monitoring signals from outer space, why would they need an agency for that? We already have uh, SETI, you know, Search for Extraterrestrial Intelligence, uh, all those satellites out in the desert or whatever, you know, so that would imply that like there is, there's a reason to be looking for stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So yeah, and then you think about the, the head of the Israeli space um, program who talked about how there's an intergalactic federation or whatever. Yeah. It's just like, what? You know, and then truth is stranger than fiction. And then you see this stuff and it's just like, mm, this yeah. is. I wanted to go talk back about that when we were talking about uh, Futurama, you know, and like, oh, yeah, this idea of an intergalactic federation, I know, is kind of a popular idea because you see that in other shows too. Oh, um, yeah. Like Star Wars had their own thing, and um, you know Rick and Morty have something similar to that. Star Trek, yeah, Star Trek. It, it it just makes sense though if there is intelligent life that can travel between galaxies and star systems and stuff. It seems like there would be a need for some sort of cooperation to keep peace between these people or uh, beings, you know. So it makes a lot of sense to put that idea to this stuff that you know, like SETI, right? Maybe that is what the signals intelligence is referring to and maybe yeah you know these other groups that you know are monitoring this stuff because they know it's out there and there's a reason to look for it like you said there must be some reason to monitor this stuff you know right right so it's that's me although that wasn't what i expected to get out of you know disclosure but having that little bit that was big for me you know learning about that we have the at least these four intelligence agencies there's probably at least 96 more. <laughs> oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's like so many intelligence agencies for so such very specific things. Like, it's just, I don't know. It's, 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 it's odd. To yeah. Me. It's, it's, it's a little, a little off putting. Right. Cause like I said, the, I'm not afraid of ETs. I'm afraid of humans. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, you know, like that kind of makes me think not to get ahead, but, like number three on the list. Yeah, let's let's, just, let's dive into it. Go for it. Because um, it's kind of similar to what number two is talking about with all these different intelligence uh, groups. You know, like geospatial intelligence that has probably multiple agencies under that, you know, that all fall in this category or whatever. Mm. Um, but often lumped in with intelligence is, you know, the FBI. Right. Because they kind of do the same thing. Normally, it's supposed to be like crimes that right. they investigate. But, you know, is X-Files, are they an FBI offshoot? Or are they yes, that's, yeah. yeah, the X- X-Files you know, was in the show, the X-Files area that was part of the of the FBI. FBI, yeah. right. And it makes sense because number three says that they also get this data from detailed analysis from the FBI, which has derived from investigations of intrusions of UAP data over restricted U.S. airspace. So the X-Files are real. <laughs> basically the fbi does have a division that investigates uaps um so we have a whole nother set of reliable data or at least we have this proof that the fbi does investigate this stuff which i thought was pretty insane yet another agency that's involved in this oh the plot thickens. It, exactly right <laughs> meanwhile we don't have data so 
to suggest it's a foreign adversary. Right. But we have all these guys looking into it. Yeah. It's... <laughs> uh, yeah, it's it's absolutely crazy. It seems like the Senate report is kind of similar to this one, just a little bit more detail. Yeah. But man, I can't imagine what sort of FBI reporting and, and different events they looked into, you right. know? I think about all the episodes of X-Files and wonder how many of those were probably true. Dude, I'm rewatching it with Haley right now. And uh-huh. it's it's amazing because especially if you've done like a lot of research into like Operation Paperclip and stuff like that, right. it's amazing how much that stuff is included. There, there's even like a couple of episodes that will deal with the parallel story to like a real thing, but it's based off of a real thing. Right. You know, that happens a lot in that show. And it's, you know, uh, when I put my conspiracy theory hat on, I, I start to think like, oh, you know, is it is the X-Files a drip feed campaign, you know, uh-huh. <laughs> of some sort? And it, I don't know. Yeah. You know, there's that saying like life imitates art. Sometimes I think it's like the other way around, too. You know, like going back to like the Galactic Federation or, you know, the X-Files. I feel like that stuff exists in these, you know, uh, art forms like on TV and movies and comics and stuff because it is real. And, you know, this truth has been leaked out in some way. And, you know, now it's become part of the ethos of this idea of, you know, aliens and intergalactic travel and stuff that, of course, there's an intergalactic federation and, you know, an X-Files group because... That's actually happening. <laughs> right, right, right. The, the, I like what you said, though. It's less about how life imitates art and more like art imitates life. Right. Because actually, I, I have this personal belief that one of the functions of artists is to break people out of established points of view that they have come become accustomed to. Mm-hmm. And there's probably people who have like legitimate theories on this. I'm just like, this is my little pet stoner theory or whatever you want to call it. But, you know, if you look at huge periods of, uh, of expansion of technology and of knowledge, you usually notice that it's also associated with a big art movement. The Enlightenment is the biggest example of this. This is where we have Leonardo da Vinci, but it's also where we have, you know, the Gutenberg Press, you mm-hmm. know. Yeah. Um, and how that expands and how, you know, essentially it helps to create the world that we have today, you know, yeah. or even like all the, ex- the expanded technology we've had in our day. And like, think about like the expansion of like all this art and media that we've had in our culture has also been correlated with all this expansion in technology and stuff like that that we have. So it seems to me that like art is what leads innovation mm-hmm. more than anything else. It's just done in a very subconscious. It's like art works with the subconscious. Yeah. And it's like by changing the subconscious, it allows for more freedom to be had in the conscious or what have you. Sorry, that that was definitely a stoner explanation. No, I'm glad because <laughs> uh, what I really meant by not explaining it is just like, I don't know how to. So you did a lot better <laughs> than I did. So thank you for that. Uh, I'm an expert in the stoner theories. <laughs> I've had a lot of experience. <laughs> Anyways, so uh, then, then let's go ahead and check out these last couple of them, and then that will kind of conclude our coverage of this report. So number four, uh, the Senate report specifically asked for a detailed description of an interagency process for ensuring timely data collection and centralized analysis of all UAP reporting for the federal government. So just basically what we said, we mentioned earlier how they want a detailed breakdown of how they're going to do this stuff in the future, how they're going to collect data, what technology they're going to use for what do they need that kind of stuff uh five is uh identification of an official accountable for the process described in paragraph four okay so they need a a person it's well yeah and it's also kind of going back to like what you said before about like how they kind of sounded like they already know how to do all this Mm -hmm. they're just proposing like hey how this is what we need you know right so in three they're like or in, in four they're like here's what we need 
And then five, here's how we do it. <laughs> right. And uh, here, here's the person to, to take the lead. So, yeah, they're kind of, you know, saying we need more investigation. We need more means in order to collect data on this. Here's how to do it. Make it happen in the next fiscal budget. <laughs> <laughs> and we need somebody who we can we can point to and say, ah, it's your fault. Exactly. You're the bastard. We need the scapegoat. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Uh, six is identification of potential airspace and other threats posed by UAP to national security. Um, and an Here's why you should care some more. Right. Uh, seven is identification of any incidents or patterns that indicate a potential adversary have achieved breakthrough aerospace capabilities that could put the U.S. strategic or conventional forces at risk. That's the one I wish I could see. Yeah. Like, it sounds like there was something there. They didn't just spend some time saying like, hey, other guys might have it moving on. It sounds like they had reason to stop here and actually identify that there are incidences that foreign adversaries do have this technology. If they made it a point to put it in their um, report. Well, specifically, they're asking like, we need to know if there's any incidents that show that this potential adversary has a breakthrough technology that could put us at risk. I see, yeah. So it says the Senate report requested that our report include this. That doesn't necessarily mean that it did. Though. But it makes sense that they're asking for it true, for sure. True. You know, um, and then the last thing is in recommendations regarding increased collection of data, enhanced research and development, uh, additional funding and other resources. And that's pretty much self-explanatory. So, yeah. So that's it. That is the UFO report to Congress. Only um, nine pages. Only nine pages, but so much stuff. And I hope for you, the listener, you're listening to this. I hope you can kind of get a little bit more from this in terms of like seeing that there's a lot in here that you have to kind of go onto the surface a little bit to start seeing, for example, some of the contradictions to start seeing, you know, kind of seeing this more in the context of what it is and what it is. is This is just like the beginning. Uh, as as Tom, as you mentioned earlier, this is just the beginning of getting into this topic and understanding what exactly is going on here. This is not the end all be all, but this is definitely a step in the right direction. Um, yeah, for sure, getting this information out there and allowing the topic to be taken seriously. Yeah, you know, I remember when the report dropped. One of the main headlines I saw getting passed around was a uh, Senate report on UAPs says that their um you know unidentified flying objects are real but they can't rule out aliens or something like that like they right you were basically saying like it's we're not saying it is aliens but we're not saying it's not and that was a easy way for i think anybody who just reads headlines to kind of scroll past it and be like oh okay you know so it's not aliens but that's like you said you got to really look at the report and kind of add it all up to see the bigger picture which is UAPs are real and they're physical and they're in our airspace and we can't explain them like scientifically <laughs> at, le at least at least that's what we're saying right you know because again like like we like we've mentioned before when you when you read in the in the document that you know we have a lack of, of high quality information but yet most of the document talks about all this advanced technology that we're using to verify that these UAPs exist and that they are there. And then you have the testimony from Christopher Mellon saying that he wasn't impressed by the Tic Tac right. or the other videos because he's seen better stuff. Right. Like, 
there's so much more here. This is such, this is like the birds and the bees talk that you have to give to your eight year old yes. because you accidentally, you know, let something slip. That's you a know? great analogy. <laughs> it's the birds and the bees talk. It's taking a hard subject and giving it to you in baby bite form. Right. You know, people have been talking about soft disclosure for a while now and saying that, that we're in this age now of soft disclosure. It's, it's going to happen, but it's going to come slow and yes. soft so you can digest it. And I think that's what this is. I agree. Beginning of, hey, you're going to find out it's aliens here. You just, we got to help, you know. Got to prepare. We got to, we got to warm the oven first before we put the bread in. Yeah. You and I are ready. My extremely conservative Catholic Republican mother is not. (laughs) (laughs) She's not ready for the aliens yet. No, no, no. (laughs) She needs the digestible bites first. She needs the she needs the Teddy Graham bites. And yeah. <laughs> yeah. Irabuela that's always got her rosary on her wrist. Yeah, yeah. she's she can't handle this truth right now. <laughs> you can't handle the truth. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Any other final thoughts on the subject? Well, I just hope that we get something like this yearly. You know, I hope it's yeah. not brushed under the rug. And I don't think it will be because I think the UAP subject is becoming more popular and more mainstream. Um, and I think that's only going to continue. So um, I just hope that, you know, the UAPTF does get these resources they're requesting that our elected officials put some energy and money mainly into this. And hopefully we get some more and some more concrete data and, and reporting and some more reports. Yeah, I'm 100 percent there with you. Yeah. And again, if you're listening to this and you've not yet seen those Kurt Jaimungle interviews with Luis Lou Elizondo, sorry. Uh, Louis. Louis, Louis, Louis Elizondo. Yo, it's me, Louis. <laughs> oh my God, that's great. Uh, but if you haven't see, uh, listened, listened to or watched those interviews yet, I highly recommend it because uh, one thing that they both emphasize is that this is just the beginning. There's more coming and hey, the Alien Gazing Podcast is going to be here to analyze and help you see through it all. So with that being said, guys, that is our episode for tonight. Uh, If you'd like to follow either of us, you can follow me via at Sasha's Over Washington on Instagram. You can follow Tom at d.daily.180 on Instagram as well. And if you have a UFO or ET topic that you would like us to cover, send us an email. Let us know what you want us to, to talk about and we'll uh, we'll check it out. Additionally, if you are in a shoegaze, dream pop, grunge gaze, or any kind of the, uh, those kind of type of bands, please feel free to reach out to us. Send us an email over at saucersoverwashington at gmail.com and we'd love to feature your music on the podcast. Until then, guys, you all stay safe out there. Stay spacey. And keep gazing. Bye.